Hello and welcome to Brownlee and Brownlee's Unsung Book Club. I'm Nick Brownlee. And I am Lucy Brownlee. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Great, great. You are the best writer in our family. Oh, that's very kind of you too. Much better than me. Oh, come on. Your crime thrillers are outstanding. You're a great writer too. Nobody reads my books. I think you've just got a very selective audience. Would you like a cup of tea? Yeah, that'd be great, thanks. I think I am. What? I think I am. I think oh, I am. Shit. I think I am. The robot's broken. Yes, well, as you may have gathered, her ladyship isn't here this week, so it's just me, I'm afraid. And to celebrate the fact that the cat's away, I thought we'd do something a bit different. I thought we'd take a look at the fabled slush pile, the place where unsolicited manuscripts go to die. Unless, of course, yours is lucky enough to be plucked from the abyss. I'll be talking to a commissioning editor who's very much in favour of this literary lottery. I would definitely say it is worth doing, um, just to to experience for yourself how the publishing industry works as well and get a greater understanding of the publishers that you know you would ultimately like to work with. An industry expert who can help you beat the odds with your magnus opus. Because you did what they said on the website, they are ignoring you. Um, so the trick is not to be a good boy or a good girl. The right. trick is to act like a professional. So if you if you can see you're being fed BS, then don't do it. And I'll be asking whether, after all that, the slush pile is in fact history. But first, an apology. Last time out, I may have been a bit snarky about Sebastian Falks' favourite books. This was according to an interview he did in The Times. A book that made me rethink a lot of things was The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind by <laughs> Julian Jaynes. Crikey. Yeah, I know. Um... <laughs> Now, I'm not saying uh, Sebastian Falk is lying to sound intellectual, but um, his, his bookshelf is clearly a lot more highbrow than mine. <laughs> I, I'd have to say. Yes, I know. Well, to make up for it, can I recommend all listeners of this podcast have a listen to another podcast called How to Fail by the author and journalist Elizabeth Day, in particular, the episode in which she interviews our friend Sebastian Falks. Um, he's always been a bit highbrow for literary scumbags like me, perhaps, but um, he's actually very good value on this, and he's got some great insights into the creative process, as my sister would say. In fact, there's a great bit where he talks about how a few years ago he, he wrote a column about being a best-selling author, but how he was getting a, a bit bored with a solitary writer's life and really fancied getting a proper job. Anyway, a few days later, he got an email from a firm of solicitors asking if he'd like to rewrite their website. Oh, we've all been there, Sebastian, baby. We've all been there. Anyway, ah yes, the slush pile. The slush pile is the term used in the publishing industry for the thousands of unsolicited submissions which are delivered to literary agents and publishers every day. Traditionally, those submissions consist of a covering letter, a two-page synopsis, and maybe the first 50 tempting pages of the manuscript. Among writers, it's achieved a sort of mythical status largely on the back of unknown authors who've been plucked from obscurity and turned into bestsellers, the likes of Roddy Doyle, Ian Banks, Bill Bryson and Minette Walters. But in the modern world, when you can publish your own book at the click of a mouse, is the slush pile still the gateway to success? There are those 
who think the whole thing is a waste of time. Through the miracle of Skype, the miracle being that I got it to work, I talked to Minneapolis-based industry expert Scott Edelstein, author of The Complete Writer's Kit, A Hundred Things Every Writer Needs to Know, and several other self-help books for would-be authors. Scott has described the slush pile as, quote, pieces to ignore or return unread or pass off to the underlings. But as he admits, he might already be out of date with his view. The slush pile is is not uh, so much a pile anymore. Um, it's really just a, a designation, since almost everything is uh, everywhere is sent in via email. There was a time, of course, when stuff was was sent by mail, and it was literally a pile in people's offices. Um, and it all, there also was a time when there were underlings who were specifically designated. Um, yeah. There are still some some publications where that's the case, but for the most part, it's really a quick decision that's being made by the, the editor once they see this. Um, are they going to read it carefully or set it aside to be read carefully? Are they going to completely ignore it? Are they going to um, send it to someone else for whatever reason? And I do want to say that one of the big things that's changed in the last couple years, really only in the last, particularly in the past year, um, but we've seen it start to evolve over the last two years, at least here in the States. Maybe uh, you've discovered that it's different um, uh, across the ocean. Um, but it, it used to be that anytime you send something to an editor, there was an assumption that the, this was a real contact, even if you never knew the editor, that they had an obligation to respond, even if it was with a form email. Yeah. Now there is no such obligation, unfortunately. What's, what's happened is they've taken on the Hollywood mentality, and in part that's because so many media conglomerates that own Hollywood studios have bought up uh, magazines and book publishers and so on. So now it's quite common for people to completely ignore you unless they have something that they want from you. And that really has made it much harder. And this is true for uh, not just for, for uh, people who are new, but people who've been well-published. It's true for literary agents, because I'm also a um, a part-time literary agent, and this happens to me now, which is um, you can have somebody, you can even be in negotiation with somebody, and then they just disappear on you. They go dark, and you, you say what's going on, and they won't answer you. And that has become increasingly the norm, not the norm, but a norm, where uh, the idea is unless you have something that I as an editor want from you at this moment, I'm not going to talk to you, I'm not going to respond to you, and you better get used to it. All right, but if editors can't be bothered to wade through the slush pile, don't they run the risk of missing out on that gleaming nugget of gold we hear so much about? Well, they will still, some of them will sometimes look through the slush pile, but it is true now that um, everybody's overworked, everybody's underpaid, and the pressures on the, the various industries are so much more than there used to be. And those are because there are many different media out there. It's because there are many, uh, particularly in book publishing, it used to be 50,000 books were published in this country every year. Now it's over a million because it's primarily self-publishing. Um, so because there are so many pressures, everybody's trying to make do with less. And what happens is there become incremental changes that eventually cascade into significant behavioral changes. And so what is happening in many media um, is people, there's just not enough people to do the work that used to be done because yeah. people, they, they can't really can justify the salaries. Well, that's depressing. Or it would be if the default setting of this podcast was not optimism. You see, despite the fact that editors are under the cosh and big publishers are only looking for the next JK Rowling, for small independent publishers, the good old slush pile remains the best way of unearthing talent. 
Legend Times are based in the UK and are one of the few publishers of contemporary adult fiction that still invite unsolicited submissions from all comers. As one of its senior commissioning editors, Lauren Parsons is at the sharp end of the hunt for fresh new talent. It's a lot of reading. It's keeping your eye out for anything that comes along, whether that is unsolicited or agented or a foreign submission. And it's it's having a look and assessing whether or not the title would be right for our list. So just how many submissions does she have to wade through? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be able to count. <laughs> it's... Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of reading, but it's it's more, you, you get quicker, it's, it's more a matter of assessing a manuscript rather than reading. And so you, I mean, from the unsolicited side, we receive about three to five manuscripts a day. Um, so there's always that stream coming through, as well as obviously, as I said, the agents and foreign submissions. So um, it's lots of you have to multitask, you have to balance lots of different manuscripts at the same time. Um, but my favourite part is when you are reading something and you, you, you stop assessing it and you slow down and then you're reading it. And that's, that's as a general reader was because you're, there's something about the book that you just want to slow down and, and savour every sentence. And more often than not, they're books that we've signed up. <laughs> okay, so Lauren and her team received between... Uh, what, three and five manuscripts a day? Let's split the difference, call it four. That's nearly 1,500 a year, if my extremely shoddy maths is correct. So from that, how many actually make it to publication? Again, it varies. We've From our list, it's, we've published as many as two, three, four titles a year from um, the slush file, I suppose, the unsolicited. Um, and we've gone on to publish second, third, fourth, fifth books from the same authors as well. Again, if my extremely shoddy calculations are correct, that's a hit rate of less than 0.3%. Are the rest of them all that bad? Are they all written in exercise books in green marker pen? Well, no. For a start, nobody uses a pen anymore. The thing is, a lot of authors don't do themselves any favours. And according to Scott Edelstein, many editors don't even get past the subject line in an email. And whose fault's that? The first thing is make sure that in your, in your uh, uh, pitch that your subject in the email says something like pitch four, and then either if you have an interesting title, then you put the title. If you don't have an interesting title, uh, you know, imagine you were Dylan Thomas sending in, um, uh, what am I thinking of, uh, the fame of the peaches, the story of the peaches. It wouldn't be uh, uh, pitch for the peaches. It would be pitch for uh, pitch for intercultural short story because it really is about the rich and the poor. So it, there has to be some, some very 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 brief hook uh, in the the subject line. So that's number one, as opposed to putting like submission, which I hate that word by the way. It sounds like you're lying on the ground and and somebody's putting their foot on your neck, or that you're bearing your neck so that uh, for the editor who's bearing their teeth. Then of course. It helps to send your work to the right person. Number two is it's a first-name business, at least here in the States. And uh, certainly when I deal with uh, editors uh, in the UK, they certainly, nine times out of ten, are also using first names. So address the editor by their first name, dear Mary, dear Sheila, dear PJ, dear whatever they go by. Um, the third is to make sure you have the right editor's name, and that's essential, and that's the kind of key thing that I say about staying out of the slush pile. But I cannot stress, no matter what they think, no matter what they're told, 
The most important thing is having the right editor's name because if you then it becomes more of a personal connection from the time that you first uh, uh, reach out to that person. And it says two things. One is you've done your homework. Number two, you know what you're doing in general. Ah, homework. Of course, if we'd all stuck in it our homework at school, none of us would be in this position. But of all the cardinal sins of the slush pile, failing to do your research also rates high on Lauren Parsons' list of no-nos. As I said, there's lots of competition, um, lots of different submissions coming through, and, and the quality does vary. And it really shows when authors have done their homework, they've researched the company, and they've taken the time to find out what, what sort of titles we publish, um, they can list whether whether they have read any of our books um, and, and where amongst our list they, they can see themselves sitting. So it really, when an author has, has done all of that and, and taken that time, it really does show and it reflects in their writing a lot of the time. When an author, like I say, researches it and presents their submission in a professional way, you know, that's the first impression that a publisher will have of their work. So it really pays to take time and, and assess it before hitting the send button. Something else which authors also forget to do is say who they are. Nobody likes to talk about themselves, of course, but in this case it really does help to be a bit forthcoming. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's listing, you know, your credentials, your experience. Have you published, have you self-published before? Have you published traditionally before, short stories, articles, uh, whatever it may be, it's all, it all counts because it proves to us, it shows us how committed the author is to their writing and how passionate they are. So, having done your homework and researched the first name, shoe size and favourite football team of your chosen editor, is there anything else that can help your masterwork leap from the morass? As a journalist, I was always told that the intro, the first paragraph of a story, had to grip the reader by the throat or they would move on. When I wrote my first novel, Bait, which is a crime thriller set in Kenya, I put that theory to the test in a blatant attempt to get noticed. As a boy, George Malewe had gutted thousands of fish for the white men who came to catch game off the coast of Mombasa. But as he plunged the blade of his favorite teak-handled filleting knife into the soft underbelly and eased it upwards through the stomach wall with a smooth, practiced sawing movement, it struck him that he had never before gutted a white man. Nice. But I guess it did the trick. At least it got me plucked from the Macmillan New Writers slush pile and from there to getting an agent and a publishing deal. Well, that's what I thought. Here's Lauren Parsons again. I think, I mean, this is the trap a lot of authors fall into. They feel that they need to put their best writing in the first page or in the first three chapters. And that's not necessarily true. It depends on, on the book entirely. And, and I think, actually, if you're only going to rely on the very beginning of your work to, to sell itself, then... Uh, you're probably doing the rest of your writing a bit of a disservice. Um, I think an author lot relies on the synopsis. The synopsis itself is meant to be a succinct uh, capsule, an insight for anybody to have a good understanding of what the book is about. And and authors worry about you know putting spoilers in there or or giving too much away. But that's that's the point of the synopsis. You want to pitch your book as best as you can in one or two pages. And, and 
so an awful lot of emphasis lies on the synopsis, I would say. And then the supply chapters itself is purely an example of how the author would execute the synopsis. Hmm. So synopsis is king. Shows what I know. But if the worst comes to the worst, how about ignoring the submissions process entirely? Scott Edelstein. On the one hand, it's important to do homework, and on the other hand, it's important to have great doubt about what you read. So by that I mean is that many publications will put up on their website information that is meant to keep you out rather than help you in. And I know that's maddening. Welcome to life. That's often how it works. Um, just like when you see on a, on a, a building that says no soliciting, and if you're uh, about to sell your brand new Porsche for a dollar or a pound, or a pound um, uh, you wouldn't go too bad. You would walk in and say, do you want this Porsche for a pound because I, I need to get rid of it. <laughs> so uh, it's the same way here is that what you, what you really have to uh, intuit and with experience you'll, you'll get a sense of it is whether that information that's on the website is meant to be taken seriously by insiders. So sometimes it's meant to help people in, sometimes it's meant to keep outsiders out. And I'll just give you a few quick things to look for. If there is lots of detail and lot and like multiple names and um, and it, it, it sounds like they're they're trying to help you get in, then absolutely take it seriously um, and and follow the, the, the guidance. But when it's kind of vague or it says send it to submissions editor or to something other than a particular person, then I would be I would completely ignore all the everything they say on there. And in fact, sometimes, and this is true of life in general, you need to follow the rules 85% of the time. You need to break them 15% of the time. And the trick is always, when do you do which? Well, that's the, that's the secret of getting through life and getting through the day and, and succeeding in this business and succeeding in almost every business. Because you did what they said on the website, they are ignoring you. Um, so the trick is not to be a good boy or a good girl. The right. trick is to act like a professional. So if you, if you can see you're being fed BS, then don't do it. Well, it's hardly orthodox, but then Scott is a bit of an iconoclast when it comes to the submissions process. I would never send, if you are a um, an author sending in work directly to a publisher, not pitching an agent, this is just pitching a publisher, and you have a full book, um, I would send the whole book. Because when you send portions, the best they'll possibly say is, send me more. Well, you can do that from the beginning, and all you've done is insert an extra way to say no. That is that is a very interesting thing because um, I was always advised under no circumstances to extend in the whole <laughs> okay. book because it will just be chucked. But having said that, mm -hmm. that was in the days of um, you know manuscripts typed out on paper and sent in a big envelope. Uh, it's all different now, of course. You know, email the book right. across may be different, but that's an interesting thing—a big, a bold step. Well, let me put some nuances on that because it, it is, it, and, and people listening to this will go, that is crazy. And the answer is, yes, that's crazy. Welcome to life. Welcome to business. Welcome to publishing. Welcome, I mean, really, you could talk about that with politics. You could talk about that with government. Welcome to humanity. So with that as the caveat, if you have a book proposal, which is a portion of the book, some sales material up front, if it's a nonfiction book that informs or inspires or instructs, um, then that's what you send. Then you don't send the whole thing because a proposal will be sufficient. Um, if you're pitching to agents, I wouldn't send the whole thing. I would start out with just the pitch because that's what's evolved. But if you have finished the book already um, and you're pitching directly to publishers, you might as well send the whole book 
Um, because after all, it's not taking up any space. If they like what they see, they don't have to request more. Right. Indeed, if you were to, for example, to pitch to an agent with just a, um, a pitch email and they say, I'd like to see the first 50 pages or I'd like to see the first three chapters, what I always advise people to do is attach two, two, uh, two attachments. The first would be the first roughly 50 pages or the first roughly three chapters. And the second would be the remainder of the book. And this is for books now. And then I would say, uh, as you requested, I'm sending the first 50 pages or first three chapters of whatever your title is. I'm also attaching the remainder of the book so you can continue reading if you like what you see. Now, it doesn't take up any space. It doesn't do any harm. You're actually doing them a favor. And, oh, 19 times out of 20, 29 times out of 30, the editor will actually appreciate that. One time out of 20, 25, 30, you'll get an, an extraordinarily angry email back saying, how dare you not do exactly what I was told? And then what you've learned is this is not somebody I would ever want to do business with. So what have we learned? Well, thanks to industry pressure, the traditional slush pile may not be in the best of health these days, but it's still the best way for unknown authors to get themselves known. That said, it's very much up to the author to get their submission right. Green marker pen may be a thing of the past, but it's been replaced by wrongly addressed emails, shoddy subject lines, and a general lack of research on behalf of the author. Explain what the book's about, who it's aimed at, why you've written it, who you are. Forget the killer intro. Really? Concentrate on a killer synopsis. And if all else fails, take Scott Edelstein's advice and just send the whole bloody thing over and trust in your own genius. After all, as they say in this part of the world, shy bands get nout. Okay, that's about it for the solo stint today. Thanks to Lauren Parsons and Scott Edelstein for helping out. Do check out Scott's website, helpingwriters.com, which is chock full of tips and info for all writers out there. And you can find out more about this show at unsungbookclub.com. And if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed here, let us know on Twitter, at unsungbookclub. A glowing review on Apple Podcasts would also be much appreciated. That's it for now. Normal service should be restored when we come back in a couple of weeks. Until then, from me and Robo Lucy, this has been a Paperfoot production. Thanks for listening. Would you like a cup of tea? Paperfoot.